I'm reminded once again, and, and of course this is a, the sentiment of someone who's over 60, like me, typically, technology is not our friend. We just kind of go along with each other as best we can. Uh, it's just a pleasure to be here tonight. I probably would have been here anyway, sitting with you, and uh, um, very, very uh, uh, pleased to have the opportunity just to, to fill in here and help out in any way possible. So this is terrific. Um, greetings, as always, from uh, your partner church, Gateway, and Pastor Steve, and the, the staff and the leadership team there. There's a lot of people who just care so deeply for what's happening here in Binbrook and always hold you up in prayer. And uh, it's nice to be reminded of that from time to time. We want to take a few minutes tonight to look into God's Word uh, and uh, see what God would have to say to us about that. We always trust Him to do the things that only He can do when we gather together this way. So let's just start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we recognize that you're here. And uh, you're not here in the abstract, you're here personally. Uh, we thank you so much for that. And we invite you to do those things that you want to do in the next few minutes. The things that you've already started to do in our hearts and in our minds and our spirits. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you uh, in reality. And we invite you uh, just to express and to use your lordship here in this room tonight. For we ask it all in your precious name. Amen. On the Jericho Road uh, actually is the, the title of uh, a song that uh, my mother taught me when I was very young. I was trying to estimate today when I was looking at these notes how young I was, probably five or six, I think, and I'll take a guess that probably nobody in the room is familiar with the song that I'm going to refer to, except possibly a Bernie, because your brother Rob recognized the song when I, uh, when I uh, spoke about this uh, a year or so ago in Cayuga, and I was quite impressed, because I really don't know anybody else who recognizes it. Could we just uh, have the song with the, the slide with the lyrics? So this is, what, this is just a portion of what my mother uh, would play on the piano, taught us the words, and taught us a little bit about what it meant. On the Jericho Road, there's room for just two, no more or no, no less, just Jesus and you. And if you can imagine, because I won't do this to you, I won't try to sing it for you. Um, uh, if you can imagine, that really, that last, but just Jesus and you was always sung by a guy with a really deep voice, and he'd go way down, just Jesus and you and he'd get everybody's attention that way. I thought that was terrific when I was a kid. Um, but it was important that my mom took the time to talk to us a little bit about what the song actually meant, and a little bit about the truth. Um, on the Jericho Road, yeah, there is room for just two. It's a very, very personal thing between Jesus and people just like you and me. It's a great old gospel song, lyrics taken from a whole range, really, reflecting a whole range of stories from the New Testament uh, that uh, described how Jesus would encounter people and things would change. Um, and we're talking about the Jericho Road as being a stretch of road between Jericho and, uh, um, and Jerusalem, about 15 miles. Um, maybe we could go on to that, that next slide. I think the next slide's probably, yeah, it is. So you can see there... Uh, Jericho to Jerusalem, always hard to tell on a map without a legend. 
but about 15 miles. And as I recall, as I first looked into this and heard the Sunday school lessons over the years, the road to Jerusalem was up and the road to Jericho was down. And in fact, it's a, those 15 miles have a, a really impressive drop in altitude uh, you, when you go from one to the other. And that's the road that Jesus was traveling. The key message that, uh, about encounters with Jesus is that they're, they're essentially personal. And in fact, over the years, at least when songs and messages like this were a little bit more common, the Jericho Road became a euphemism for the path that Jesus wants to take into each of our lives and to intersect with our very, very deepest needs. And uh, that's kind of how it was taught to me. Um, could we see the... Uh, um, yeah, there's, and there's a, what I would consider to be a picture from an old Sunday school paper. Uh, for those of you that remember Sunday school papers, so you might have the Sunday school lesson on how the Israelites won the battle of Jericho in the Old Testament. And your Sunday school picture would have had a picture like this, or maybe something not quite that violent, I don't know. Although, when I was a boy, I would have really loved the fact that there were people falling off the wall and all that kind of thing. That's a pretty good depiction. I want to point out that it even includes the red sash that Rahab let down from the window in the wall so that the Israelites and, the, and really the army of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, uh, that supported them would uh, pass by that particular spot and she was saved and that's pretty significant and I'll mention that in just a few minutes. So a little bit about, uh, a, real, a, little about a little bit of context on Jericho. It's a very ancient city so it does show up uh, in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. Joshua and the children of Israel destroyed it in a spectacular battle in which uh, God said they weren't to use weapons but they were to uh, use trumpets, and I think they broke clay pots, uh, all of them, and made, made a really, really big noise. Um, uh, and the woman I referred to, Rahab, who let down that sash that you can see there, is accounted in the Bible as being an earthly ancestor of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so that's a wonderful connection uh, between uh, Jericho in the Old Testament and Jericho in the New Testament as Jesus comes back. To Jericho and things happen. Joshua, it says in the book of Joshua that just prior to the battle of Jericho, Joshua encountered a man outside the city and when he asked him who he was, he said, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Uh, and scholars generally agree that this was an appearance of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, and there's a number of appearances like that that are, that, that are featured in the Old Testament. If that's the case, we find that Jesus is actually returning to, to Jericho in his earthly ministry in the New Testament. So it's not the first time he's been there, which I think is pretty significant. He's coming back to a place where his ancestor lived, and he's coming back to a place where he revealed his power uh, some 1,400 years before the uh, story uh, that we're going to read from the Bible in just a minute. Um, it's key to note that Jericho is the lowest place in the area, 800 feet. Uh, oh, we don't have the map up now, but it doesn't matter. But 800 feet lower than the Dead Sea. So when you think of the Dead Sea, you know the Dead Sea is really, really low. And, and Jericho's 800 feet lower than that. And it's uh, regarded by archaeologists today as the lowest inhabited place on the face of the earth. 
So it's a remarkably low, low place. Um, the 15-mile stretch between uh, Jericho and Jerusalem is the setting for the parable of the Good Samaritan, which many of us know. And lots of ministry activity for Jesus there as he traveled along that road in both directions. Uh, he healed two blind men, we're told, in Jericho, one of them being the guy that we're going to uh, read about today. And uh, he also had a life-changing uh, encounter with uh, Jericho's chief tax collector, a man named Zacchaeus, who couldn't see him because of the crowd, so climbed up into a tree so that he could actually get a glimpse of Jesus. And that's also a wonderful story. So then Jesus came back to this troubled, troubled, violent place and, uh, and brought his presence and his power there. And really, the Jericho Road was never the same after Jesus ministered along it during his three-year ministry. Um, let's look at our scripture if we can, Trevor. So this is taken from Mark chapter 10. We're going to read six or seven verses. And I'll just stand over here and read them. If you want to read along with me, you can. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called, him, called to the blind man and said, cheer up or be encouraged on your feet. He's calling you. And one translation that I like says, he's calling you to come forward, which is a, boy, just a, a wonderful verbal picture of salvation, by the way. He's calling you to come forward. Uh, and then Jesus asked him this question, what do you want me to do for you? And, and, and the blind man said, rabbi, which means teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight. And then it says he followed Jesus along the road. Thank you. That's a, it's great to have that scripture up there. It's a wonderful, compelling story that illustrates, first of all, um, why Jesus came. That first verse we, we read uh, in the sequence, which was uh, the summation of an interview that Jesus had just had with two of his disciples, uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. That's why Jesus came. So it's a wonderful, concise, beautiful picture of the gospel in just a very few words. Uh, and secondly, it shows how he wants to encounter each of us in a life-changing, life-giving way. This, this interaction that he had with this poor man, Bartimaeus, who had been blind for so long. So let's consider the, the features of Bartimaeus' Bartimaeus's story and consider how this might apply to lives like ours more than 2,000 years later. I guess the question is, is it possible for you and I um, to encounter Jesus just the way uh, Bartimaeus did? Or is that just... New Testament stuff, and so long ago that it's no longer relevant. I think it is relevant. I think we can. I think this is God's will for us, but let's see. 
First of all, it says that Bartimaeus was begging by the side of the road just at the very edge of Jericho. So think about what I just said uh, in, in the way of kind of introducing you to the city of Jericho. So Bartimaeus, I think it's fair to say, was as low as he could possibly get in the lowest place on earth. He was the most disenfranchised person along the edge of that road, I think. Um, and geographically, he was as low as he could possibly get on the face of the earth. And these things, I think, are meant to reflect the poverty of his spiritual condition as Jesus came, across, as Jesus came along the road. Um, when there's nothing else you can do, right? I, I, I've been here, I've been this way, and I think maybe you have too, but when you really reach the end of your resources, what do you do? You cry out for help. Cry out for help, right? A drowning person would do that, certainly, but there's all kinds of situations where we finally are moved to say, I've gone as far as I can on my own resources. I can't do this anymore. I have to have help. Um, and it's easy, it's easy to say, it's interesting to say, that, to see that uh, Bartimaeus did that. Um, in terms of his, his spiritual poverty, uh, we find that, you know, he's begging by the side of the road, and in a very real way, there was absolutely nothing that he could do to change his circumstances. Nothing personally. Nothing independently. Uh, to me, uh, very much kind of an illustration of how Jesus tends to show up in our lives at exactly the right time. You know, it's his, it's his planning, it's his timing that works. And Jesus showed up along the road where this guy had probably been begging, I'm assuming, for years and years and years. But the timing was Jesus' timing. And he passed by close, close to him, close enough, so that this poor man was able to understand that it was Jesus of Nazareth that was passing by. Um, <clears throat> Romans 5.6 5, says this, um, you see, at just the right time, when we were powerless to save ourselves, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. That's how God does business, folks. He does things according to his own timing, and it's always right. Uh, and he does exactly the thing that people need. And when we were powerless to save ourselves, God intervened with Jesus Christ so that we could be saved and set free from the power of sin. Um, it's interesting that and again, I think significant spiritually that Bartimaeus did not reach out and find Jesus. He did not reach out and grab Jesus. He didn't crawl across and try and get in Jesus' way. He was by the side of the road. He was really powerless to do anything, but Jesus found him. What a wonderful picture. Jesus walks the, uh, the Jericho Road in each of our lives, and he's always seeking. In fact, the Bible says that Christ Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. A wonderful, compelling, um, uh, simple statement of why Jesus came, of his mission. He came to seek that, was, that which was lost. Bartimaeus was seemingly hopelessly lost, and Jesus sought him out. And so, as I said, he called out to Jesus, and it's interesting that he called out to him in what I would call messianic, ter messianic terms. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, that reminds me of the tax collector in Luke 18 when Jesus was watching two men pray. And the, one, the tax collector, the, the, the public sinner, said, 
Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what did Jesus say? He said, that man went away justified before God. It's interesting that Bartimaeus addresses Jesus that way. He says, oh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Um, all the indications then are that his attitude of heart was contrite before God and that he was being led by God's spirit as he encountered Jesus. Um, just a couple, of, a couple of comments here. This man sitting by the road, surrounded by able people, uh, people who could get around, people who move independently without help. Um, and we see, even from the story, that people, when he called out, people tried to get him to stop. And there are always distractions, aren't there, uh, that would interfere with our ability to reach out to Jesus. And the only comment I would make is that in my lifetime, I would say there have never been more distractions available to people living the way we live than we have now. There have never been so many things that we could turn to when we're thinking, oh, I'm feeling kind of a spiritual unease. I feel kind of a nudging. There's something I ought to do. There's something I should say. There's someone I should reach out to. But I think I'll just do this instead. And we have so many options right now. So one of the things that we need to be aware of, friends, even more than poor Bartimaeus with the crowd around him, is the things that would keep us from realizing that Jesus is near and that we need to reach out to him. The other uh, comment I would make is that as, as I said, um, there's evidence in the Bible that Jesus had been to, uh, to Jericho 1,400 years earlier. So in effect, during this trip of ministry, he was returning to this place where he'd been before and where he had done some very, very powerful things. And what I get from that is this. We find that Christ understands our troubles. He understands what we're going through he understands what we're facing. He understands the hopelessness involved. Why? Because he's been there before us. You know, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus experienced everything that we experience, but without sin. And so when we reach out to Jesus, we're reaching out to somebody who says, yeah, I know about that. I experienced it. And I think that's what he experienced with Bartimaeus as well. Uh, the next thing is that Bartimaeus demonstrated faith. And of course, that's pivotal you really can't get too far into an encounter or certainly a relationship with God without faith. And, uh, you know, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Don't you think that's an interesting question to ask a man who has been sidelined for many, many years and is in literally terrible, like pitiable shape? Um, and, you know, Jesus wasn't... Uh, he wasn't insensitive to this guy's need, quite, quite the contrary. So he asked this question for a purpose. He said, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, after all, the Gospels are full of evidence that Jesus could look into hearts and minds and discern thoughts and needs. Uh, the woman at the well, for example. Um, in fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that God knows what we need before we can ask him. And yet, he continually commands us and directs us to come to him in prayer. So there's a reason for that. So Jesus said, hey, what is, it you, what is it you want me to do for you? It's interesting that just before this encounter with Bartimaeus, Jesus asked the identical question of James and John, two of his all-star disciples, right? So maybe that's why he asked the question, because he just asked it of his friends in the sequence before we, uh, you know, just, just before we started in verse 45. And uh, he'd asked it of his friends. And what did they ask for? They asked for power 
and fame and advancement. They chose wrongly, and he had to rebuke them. And he had to remind them, hey, don't forget why I'm here. I'm here not to be served, but to serve and to give myself as a ransom for many. He had to rebuke them that way. So he asks this poor man the same question. And this poor man answers much better than the disciples did. He said, in fact, his answer demonstrates faith, right? His answer, he said, hey, as long as you're asking, I need to see. He didn't say, hey, you know what I need. Uh, hey, come on, you know, let's not, let's not belabor this. No, he said, oh, have mercy on me. I need to see. Um, in any case, Bartimaeus answered wisely. He answered for something that Jesus came to do. It was consistent with Jesus' Jesus' mission, coming to serve and not be served, coming to give his life as a ransom for many. I think, led by the Spirit, I think Bartimaeus was basically saying, I need physical sight, but I also need to be healed spiritually. I think he was being led that way, and I think the outcome demonstrates that. Bartimaeus had faith. The Bible tells us it's impossible to please God without it, and the result is righteousness before God. Whew. You know, we should pause there. The result of life-giving faith in Jesus Christ is righteousness before God. How could we ever hope to have that any other way? Righteousness before God. Uh, this is, in fact, the gospel. Um, in Romans, it says, this righteousness comes from God, comes from faith in Jesus to all who believe. And in fact, uh, the gospel, as it's set out uh, in the New Testament, basically says, God, through Jesus Christ, is inviting us to lay our sin on Jesus Christ, and he will lay the righteousness of God on us. We get to exchange sin for righteousness. This is the gospel. And uh, and this is what Bartimaeus was experiencing because he had faith, the faith that brings righteousness. And finally, he demonstrated repentance. The Bible account tells us that as soon as he received his sight, he followed Jesus along the road. One translation that I read said, he followed Jesus in the way. Now, that's an interesting amplification because the way, that was the the, uh, euphemism given to Christianity in that time, to the early church. And so I kind of like that. He didn't just turn around and follow Jesus physically. He followed Jesus in the way. He became a follower of Christ. What a wonderful thing. I think he literally turned, and that's what repentance means, of course, in the Bible. So he wasn't going anywhere, actually, when Jesus encountered him, because he was by the side of the road. But he didn't turn back to the lowest place and say, hey, thanks. Now I can live in Jericho very happily. No, The Bible assures us that he turned around and he followed Jesus who was headed back to Jerusalem. And Jesus was actually headed back to Jerusalem and the cross. He was headed back to give himself as a ransom for each one of us. And I like to think that Bartimaeus followed him all the way as a follower of Christ. And that Bartimaeus was somehow there in the accounts that we read of the trial and Gethsemane and the crucifixion. I kind of think he was there because he'd become a follower of Christ. It's a wonderful thing. Bartimaeus is a wonderful example of the kind of follower Christ is seeking. Uh, One commentator says, when he turned and he followed Jesus, having received his sight, his eyes were wide open. 
His eyes were wide open. That's when Jesus calls us into a relationship with him and then calls us into his mission, into ministry with him. He wants us to have our eyes wide open. He wants us to count the cost. He wants us to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we get this from the story of Bartimaeus. Uh, understanding that the servant is no greater than his master uh, and that the true Christ follower must experience death to self, dedication to serving and not being served, and perhaps even physical death while finding abundant life through the, through the spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, one commentator put it this way, in this sense, there are really only two categories of people in the world today. Those who are blinded by sin and those who have looked and lived to Jesus and seen that he had died for him and ex for them and accepted that by faith. Well, we should wrap this up. Just as he did with Bartimaeus, Jesus desires not just an encounter, but a relationship with each one of us. The Bible tells us that God created us for this and that he wants to share his mission with us, to serve, to give, so that others may also come to know him. Friends, I can't think of a better description for why we're involved in church planting. It's exactly why we plant churches. What a wonderful privilege, eh? To be involved in Christ's mission here on earth. Um, friends, on the Jericho Road, as my mom taught me when I was a boy, there's room for just two. Um, I believe he's here with us here tonight by a spirit. So my question to you first is, do you sense his presence here tonight? Sometimes, just through the reading of his word and the quietening of our hearts uh, and the declaration of some truth, um, sometimes uh, we can sense that Jesus is here and that he wants us to know that he's here and that he has something that he wants to do in each of our lives. You know, in the book of Hebrews, not just once but twice, it says this, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And I almost always include that in a message because I think it's salutary for any of us, for me, for any of us, because Jesus is still wanting to speak to me. He's still wanting to do things in my life. And today, as I hear his voice, I need to be quiet and listen and then respond to him. And he'll help me do that. Like like Bartimaeus, whatever your circumstances, whatever you're facing, he invites you to call out to him this evening and just say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I need something that I can't possibly do myself. Uh, so a couple of questions as we close. To paraphrase Jesus' question to Bartimaeus, what do you need for him to do to you tonight, do for you tonight? And... Thinking of this euphemistic road, this, bar, this Jericho road, that, as I say, Jesus is a spiritual road that Jesus takes through our lives and that intersects with our deepest needs. What does the Jer where does the Jericho road cut through your life right now? Where is it cutting through your life? It's something to think about, I think. Uh, it may have to do with your job. It may have to do with your marriage. It may have to do with relationships. It may have to do with health. It may have to do with insecurity or financial things. It may have to do with a sense of hopelessness or a sense of discontent. The list goes on and on. But I, I believe that Jesus still walks this road spiritually. 
and he wants to meet each one of us exactly where our need is on that Jericho, Jericho road. Call out to him by faith tonight, just as Bartimaeus did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to reflect even for just a few minutes on the truth uh, that comes out of a story uh, that involves an encounter between you and a poor man that uh, reached out to you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just give us discernment. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to set aside distractions. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear your voice tonight and just respond to you. We often don't know how to respond, so even tonight we could just say, Oh, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. We need you. We need you in so many ways. Have mercy on us. Uh, come alongside us. Help us and draw us into a relationship with you. That's why you came. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.